So God, I pray that you would come and you would teach us. You give me uh, clarity and direction in your word. And God, you would have hearts that would be receptive in this room. You would change us, Lord. Help us to be people who live completely different than this world. And may we walk lives worthy of the gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Looks like we had a little bit of pretty weather and everyone seemed to disappear. So I hope it rains on them. Amen. Was that wrong? Was that wrong? That's terrible. The elders are going to be on to me about that one later on. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, by the way, I love the stage. I don't know about y'all. Uh, we're not done with it yet, but it uh, does help a little bit, I think. Uh, sometimes uh, I couldn't always see everybody. Now I can see who is under conviction. <laughs> so, so I recognize, um, without a doubt, the sensitivity of and the sensitive nature, I guess you would say, of the sermon that we're about to teach. Uh, with regards to the ages of the people in this room. I intend uh, to do my very best not to make unnecessary conversations occur. However, it is a shame um, that the church has not been the one that has framed um, the discussion of sex. Um, And unfortunately, we have been more quiet on that and allowed the world to define that. Um, And I'm going to do my best to uh, be faithful to the word um, without um, saying unnecessary uh, comments for sure. Um, But 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is um, a strongly worded letter by Paul to the church in Corinth. Um, Chapter 6 involves um, difficulties. Chapter 5 involved a lot of difficulties. Chapter 6 is not going to... um, be any less difficult for the things that Paul is going to speak to this church in Corinth, um, who, if you think your church has problems, you should be greatly encouraged by the church in Corinth, uh, because they had some problems as well. Uh, But let me read this, chapter 6, we're going to read verses 12 through 20, and this is the word of the Lord. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, says this in verse 12, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple 
of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. It is, um, if you're going to spend any time teaching the Bible, uh, a book that we believe wholly inspired and written by authors who are not alive at this time period, you need, if you're going to preach it in its proper context, you need to understand the history of the original hearers. If you understand the history of the original hearers and what they would have gotten from this text when it was originally written to them and originally read to them, then you will understand the applications for us today as well. And if you go and study uh, the Greco-Roman sexual culture of the first century, um, you would, as I was uh, most of Saturday, um, you will be shocked by what it was like. If you think America had a problem, you have little framework to understand of the culture of the Greco-Roman world. Now, what's interesting is just about anything was allowed to have happen, except for what we heard about in chapter 5. Uh, you could not have a relationship with your father's wife. That was frowned upon, um, which is unusual to me when you study the history, because the things that they did celebrate in our minds, we would call far worse than that. Um, this culture of a hypersexualized culture and idol worshiping um, had normalized just about every kind of sexual activity that you could possibly imagine prostitution, adultery, pedophilia, homosexuality, and the list goes on and on and on. Even rape itself. Uh, was not only condoned, but in many ways celebrated uh, by a culture that was dominated by men. Um, men, clearly, uh, were the people in charge, you would say, at this time period, um, and they were all about the domination of anyone of either sex, and just about, shockingly, at any age. Uh, prostitution was rampant, um, and as I've said, um, just about anything was allowed. Uh, in fact, it was considered the right of the Roman male to pretty much do as he pleased. Women were mostly viewed as property, and they had two purposes. One was sexual pleasure, and the other was to bear children outside of that the idea of a female in the first century was there was no other use, by and large, for women. They were basically forbidden uh, in just about every circumstance to have any, any outside marriage sexual relationships except for their husband. But men, men were free to do whatever they wanted to, and it was expected by the wives for them to do so. Even the army which I, was, I found quite interesting, when they would conduct long-term military excursions, they took along an entire contingent of prostitutes. Lust was on prominent display in every art form 
you can imagine, among the Greco-Roman world. And it was a culture um, that was very dominated by this idea. Um, and it was just shocking. I, you know, I thought as I was doing research um, that, uh, you know, there's not very much I could share. <laughs> it was just, uh, it shocked my mind, and I spent 10 years in law enforcement, and you would think that you can't get shocked, um, uh, but I was shocked by what I read, not only by Christian historical um, professors, but even secular. I just, I said, forget Christianity for a while, I'm going to read what secular historians had to say about it, and, and they actually painted an even worse picture. I mean, it was, it was mind-boggling about this culture, and you need to understand that mentality. You need to understand that framework, which we have a hard time because we have grown up in America, by and large, a Judeo-Christian-influenced country in which the DNA of our growth as a country has been in Christianity. Not saying it was a Christian culture. I understand there's lots of problems. I get it. But by and large, our influence has been Christian. In the Greco-Roman world, there was no Christian influence. Christianity was not uh, large, and it was not uh, well-known, not popular, and by and large, did not have a great deal of influence on the culture at large. We have a hard time with that framework. So these people who had come to Christ came out of a culture that was not Christian. If people come to Christ in America, we can at least argue they came out of a culture that was at least Christian in some sense of the word. There was nothing like that for these Corinthians. As we said earlier in the series, to Corinthianize was the literal meaning of just being completely, terribly evil. And this group of believers came out of that culture. So later, when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7, which we hadn't even gotten to yet, that a wife's body belongs to her husband, this group of believers would have said, well, yeah, yeah. Of course a woman's body belongs to me. I'm the male. I'm the man. I'm the husband. Who else would she possibly belong to? It's what she exists for. She exists to please me and me alone and to have children, hopefully males, because we didn't want any more girls. We wanted males who would carry on my name. That was the Roman idea. But when Paul finished that verse, he said that not only does a wife's body belong to the husband, but a husband's body belongs to the wife. That would have been a shocking revelation for these Corinthians. Not only was it a shock to the man, but it immediately, instantaneously elevated women in a society that did not, by and large, elevate them. This would have been a teaching that was completely foreign to this culture. The entire teaching on sexual, sexual ethics that Paul will work through in this chapter and the next would have been just turning the world upside down for the Christians in Corinth because it was so counter to their own life experiences. By the second century, multiple historians would write and would discuss Christians and describe them mainly by their sexual ethics and how much 
it deferred from the rest of the world. Not Christians, just secular historians in the second century would state that those people are Christians and they have one wife. And it was a foreign concept. They were actually identified like that. So Paul, challenging the sexual ethics of this new church, this full of recently converted Gentiles from pagan religions and pagan lifestyles in a culture that we don't have any framework for, a culture that had no history of Christian DNA, no framework for how you're supposed to behave according to Christianity, a culture having never been influenced by Christianity, was a lofty and important task for the Apostle Paul. Now, no doubt that in the 18 months that he already had spent there, he had taught this, but he was reteaching it again. And in verse 12, he starts off with a quote, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. And then the quote, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Now, what is Paul referencing here in this quote? Is this a quote of something that he has said, or it is a quote, or is it a quote that he is taking that is common, uh, a common phrase in this church or a common phrase in the culture? Well, if you study history, there is no record of a similar phrase being written by any other writer at this time period, at least not spoken like it is here. And scholars, I found, this is such an interesting study for me, scholars have actually disagreed, uh, biblical scholars have disagreed on the origin of this quote, whether Paul is referencing a quote that the Corinthians had begun to say, or whether he was referencing his own quote to the Corinthians that he had said when he was with them that they were now taking out of context. I lean heavily towards the latter. Um, Paul is clearly uh, challenging the interpretation of this quote because they had taken it out of context, but how would they have gotten that and how could they have taken it out of context? And I want to I'll walk us through a quick biblical journey uh, very quickly. Um, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says it this way. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I've been in church work a long time, um, and I have heard lots of people say, when challenged on something that they're doing, like, hey, we're free in Christ. We're free in Christ. And so he teaches this in Galatians chapter 5. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, and then again in verses 16 to 23, we have Paul teaching this. Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are all shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If, he tells these Colossians, with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are no value 
in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. It's a constant battle between the Jews who are Christians and the Gentiles who are Christians and what the Gentiles should submit to and what they shouldn't submit to. And this is how we do this and all that kind of stuff. Paul kept teaching that we are free in Christ. And it is likely that Paul would have taught something very similar to the Corinthians while he was there and that these Corinthians are now taking that teaching of what it means to be free in Christ in a direction that Paul did not intend for them to go. And so these quote that he is highlighting, all things are lawful for me, is in the context of how these Corinthians were behaving sexually. And so are all things lawful for them? Well, yes and no. And so Paul begins to challenge their mindset regarding their attitudes and actions regarding their freedom and their understanding of their own sexual appetites. In verse 13, he says this, food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Here, another quote, it's in quotation marks. We believe this is once again is something the Corinthians were saying that was getting back to Paul. They're saying, is an appetite for sex any different than my appetite for food? If I'm hungry, I go eat, and that's a natural reaction of my body, and, and I naturally desire these sexual things, and should I not fulfill those? Shouldn't we treat sexual desire the same way and seek satisfaction the same way? When we eat, when we're hungry, we eat, and when we have other urges, we fulfill those. And Paul rails against this kind of thinking in comparison used by the Corinthians. And he says this, both the stomach and the food will one day be destroyed. So we do not live to eat. There is a higher purpose for living than that. Something greater is at stake, is what Paul is saying. Although, I feel like a little bit like the Apostle Peter here. Seems like a strange way for Paul to have said that. Uh, maybe a little hard, a little difficult, but nevertheless, that's how he said it. Um, but I think a better way for us to think about it is this. If it feels good, do it. It's kind of the Corinthian argument. This is who I am. I mean, I get hungry, I go eat, and so anything I want, should I not, in Christ, be free to go pursue those things? All things are lawful for me, are they not? And Paul makes sure these Corinthians, and we ourselves, understand that the comparison apparently being used by the Corinthians does not correlate with the Christian view of sex. And here's why. Because our bodies are not meant for sexual immorality. Our bodies are made for the Lord and the Lord for our bodies. There is something much greater happening for the believer's body that sexual immorality distorts. Such a fun sermon, isn't it? We live in a culture that drives this way. It's nothing like the Greco-Roman world. But nevertheless, every ad, just about everything we see, has some bend to it toward sex. And the reason why is sex sells. Here's why. It is human nature, a fallen human nature. This stuff needs to be taught in the church because we need to be reminded from the Word of God that sex created by our God for glorious things in marriage is wonderful. And outside of that, 
It is detrimental. And Paul is getting this word back from this group of believers and how they're behaving. And remember, he's speaking to believers. And he comes back into this group of believers and says, you can't do it that way. Years ago, a pastor friend of mine um, had a ministry in Austin and uh, to uh, certain kinds of clubs. We'll leave it there. And uh, they led a young lady uh, to Christ out of one of those clubs who had never been in church, had no exposure to Christianity uh, outside of just a traditional American-type view. Um, and they encouraged her, felt like it was a real change, um, and they encouraged her to come to church on Sunday. She came to church on Sunday, dressed much like she would when she went to work. Um, it caused a bit of a fuss in the local Baptist church, as you could possibly imagine. Uh, eventually, some of the more godly women who were, cared more about her heart uh, than the controversies uh, pulled her aside after church and just began to talk to her about that. And it was in that period of time that they found out that she continued to dance, but that she no longer did on Sundays. <laughs> and in her mind... She didn't feel right about it, but she made this decision because she now was a believer and that she was now going to dedicate. Because they told her, you should be in church on Sundays honoring the Lord. And so that's what she did. And she told them, she was, I feel like there's still something wrong. And they were like, well, <laughs> there is. Here's the deal. We have to be taught. We always assume holiness. Paul doesn't assume holiness here. He is tackling this head on, saying, this is not how you behave. And here's why. It's not like food. Your body is meant for something different because your body belongs to Christ. So you can't live that way anymore. In verse 14, he says, and God raised the Lord, and will he also raise us up by his power? Do you not know that our bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Clearly, his one example is prostitution, rampant among the church. Rampant among the church. Accepted among the church. It's just the way things were. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Do you hear the teaching that he's doing? When you became a Christian, you became joined to Christ through the Spirit. He takes one example here, and he compares it to this example. And he says, that's what's happened when you became a believer. And then he says this, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know, now, earlier in 1 Corinthians, when we talked about the, the temple of God, he was actually speaking to the gathered church. Now he's going to use the same phrase, but he's now going to apply it to the individual believer. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within, within you, from whom you, whom you have from God? And then he tells these Corinthians, I know that you think this culture is about you dominating it, but listen, you are not your own. You're not your own. For you were bought with a price. Now here's what's happening in the Roman world. Greco-Roman world, you could get away with all those kind of activities, including rape, as long as it wasn't somebody who, who was free. You can only do that with slaves. Look what Paul just did. 
Paul said, you need to understand, free man, the way y'all behave. You were bought. You are not free like you think you are because you were bought with a price. So what does that mean? So glorify God in your body. So clearly, sexual morality is to be avoided because you've been purchased, you've been bought. This is Paul, once again, calling them out of the previous lifestyle they had been raised in their whole life. We have no concept. I mean, I don't even know. I feel like I'm not even hitting there yet because I don't know that we can even wrap our mind around it. Imagine um, I ran into a student once in youth ministry. Um, he may or may not be present. I'm looking for him. He grew up in my youth ministry. He's not here. I can say this now. <laughs> and we were watching the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. And then something happened. He was like, what just happened? I was like, what, what, do, you mean, what, just ha- what do you mean what just happened? He's a guy. He's like, I don't really know anything about football. What? Who doesn't know something about football? He doesn't. He didn't know anything about football. That's how shocking it was to me. Imagine being in a culture in which everyone behaved like these Corinthians were behaving. Everybody did. And now Paul shows up and says, you're not your own. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. And just as he has done, referencing their little petty arguments they'd had over which leader to follow and the arrogance that they had and their constant disunity and their sinful lawsuits against each other, he is now challenging their sexual ethic and their understanding of their freedom in Christ. And the key, and the key of what Paul's trying to say, he says again in Galatians, is when he says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, that here's, here's the deal. You've been called to freedom. Listen, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Why? Because you're not your own. You were bought with a price. So you're free, but not free to pursue sexual immorality. Now, how does this happen in a believer? How do you take a group of people who have grown up thinking one way, who have grown up living one way, who have grown up worshiping one way, how do you take the DNA of everything they are and everything they think and all the ways they behave and the attitude and their intentions and the way they lean, how do you take that and change that? Well, here's what happens. The church cannot change that. That's why the culture is going to go the way the culture is because they don't know Christ. So how does that happen? Well, Paul says in Romans chapter 6, he teaches this. He says it this way. Do you not know, Romans chapter 6, 16 through 18, if you want to write it down, do you not know that if you're present, if, if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, Galatians 5.1, having been set free from sin, Corinthians, you've been set free from sin, and now you are slaves to righteousness. 
We've been freed from sin to become slaves to righteousness. Once we were slaves to sin, but we've been freed from sin because of Christ. Freed from the law on how to be perfect. Because Christ fulfilled the law so I can rest in his righteousness. I, Jason Williams, am fully right in the eyes of God because of Christ. I am fully per- don't Don't panic back there, Courtney. I am fully perfect. I am. In the eyes of God, because of Christ. That is great news. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21 says this, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. He made Christ to become sin. He took on my sin. So in him, in Christ, I would become the righteousness of God. That is the good news. Corinthians, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. And you say all things are lawful for me. Yes, they are all lawful. You don't have to obey the law anymore. But you have been freed from sin to become slaves to righteousness because you were purchased by the blood of Christ. I am now, because of Christ, a slave to righteousness. Whereas before, these Corinthians, before they were incapable of doing anything other than sin because they were slaves to sin. But in Christ, and listen, believer, if you're a believer in here and you struggle with sin, I need you to hear this. Because of Christ, you have the power to say no to sin. And the teaching that Paul is giving these Corinthians is saying this. You can't live like that anymore. You're not meant for this. You were purchased. You're not your own. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. And God is now joined with you. And so therefore, flee from sexual immorality. Paul says, flee from it. Run from it. Get away from it. He gives two reasons. One, it is a sin against your own body. It's a strange way to say it. Another one, I think, a difficult way that Paul teaches. Um, but nevertheless, it is a sin against your own body. Uh, every other sin is outside the body. How do, how do we work with that? And I think the best way to say it is sexual morality is different from any other kind of sin because in some ways it is a form of self-harm. The pain and the emotional damage that it does on a deep physical and spiritual level is different. Now, I want to say this to you. It is important to note that Paul did not say that sexual morality is the worst sin of all. Because then we'd have to go into Jesus' teaching about lust. And then what would we be doing? I would say many of us have failed if we've ever lusted in our hearts and we've committed adultery. Glad he didn't say that. He just said it is a sin. But like all sins, it is redeemable through Christ. It's no more or less a sin than any other. Human cultures tend to treat it more casually than others, non-Christian cultures. We tend to hide, excuse, and rationalize sexual sin because our culture is so driven by it. Yet the effects of such sexual sin is devastating. But in Christ Sexual sin is forgiven. 
is forgiven. The cross is there for that failure too, just like every other sinful failure. And then number two, he says, you are not your own. You belong to Christ. And where you go, he goes. That's an interesting teaching. But if you take that whole chapter 6, he says this. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit with you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ, and he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him? Here's the deal. Where you go, Christ goes. How does that affect what you're watching at 3 o'clock in the morning? When you think no one else is watching. Is that too strong? Christ is there. Where he goes, where you go, he goes. Because you've been joined in Christ. This was shocking to this group of believers in, the, in Corinth. Then Paul Reminds them once again of what they're supposed to do with their bodies. Glorify God in your bodies. The way you behave in the sexual world either glorifies God or damages your own life and your own witness. We are called to glorify God in our bodies. If you're not a believer, if you've never been redeemed or never had your heart changed by the power of the gospel, then you will never be able to live for Christ. And here's why. You can come to church all you want to. You can make all the passion conferences. You can go to every Bible conference. You can go to the men's Bible study. You can do all these things right. You can check off all the boxes. You can make sure you eat with all the elders. Uh, I would eat with me and Ben. We're a lot more fun. Uh, but <laughs> you can eat with all the elders. You can hang all that stuff. We, he and I just like to eat a lot. But we, you, can, you can hang out. You can do all these things. You will never, ever be able to walk away from sin. Do you know why? You are a slave to sin. You can't get rid of it. It will always win because you have no power over it. Sin will take you where it wants you to go and eventually will kill you, not just physically. It will damn your soul for all eternity. So how do you escape being a slave to sin? By the gospel. And you would say, well, Jason, what is the gospel? I am so glad you asked. Because not only do we need to know it, but as we see with the Corinthians, we need to be reminded of it. That you were born into sin. Nobody had to teach you how to sin. You sin naturally all on your own. And that sin separated you from a holy, holy, holy God. I was teaching youth Wednesday night, and someone said, holy, holy God, and, the other, and, one, and they said, no, it's three holies. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. Holy, holy, holy God. And you were separated. You know why you were separated? Because he's holy, and when you have sinned, you are not. And sin must be destroyed. But yet, even when you were sinning, even while you were in the act of rebellion toward God, God loved you. It's mind-boggling. Because I know my own sin. I don't want it on the screen, and I bet you don't either. 
And even in that, God loved you. He loved me, and he loved me so much that he sent Christ, his only begotten son, to live a life that I could never live, a life of perfection and obedience. And he went to the cross on my behalf. He took the punishment that I richly deserved. And he took it all for Jason. So that those who put their faith and their trust in Christ could be freed from sin and be made slaves to righteousness. But now, yes, we still have this old nature that we have to battle, and we know it, but now you know it. You didn't used to know it. Now you know it. And now all of a sudden you, you just desire to do things that are godly. You, you are driven toward righteousness. If you're sitting here today and you're like, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm only driven toward sin. I'm never driven toward the things of the Lord. You are not a believer. You're not. People say, shouldn't you default to something else? I'm not defaulting to anything else. I'm defaulting that if you have no cares for the things of God at all, you don't know Christ because those who repent and believe, those who look upon their sin and see who Christ is, and they say, I don't want to live like this anymore. I repent and I believe in Christ and I place my trust in him. And that's what the Bible says. If you think you have to repeat a certain kind of prayer, you don't have to. Go read your Bible. Time and time again, it says repent and believe. And those who repent and believe are changed forevermore. Do you know why? Because you are purchased with the blood of Christ and God joins himself to you. And when you meet our God, you can never be the same again. Now, will you fail? Yes. Will you fail miserably? Yes. But though a righteous man falls down seven times, he gets back up. Knowing that in the cross, he is forgiven. And we are driven toward our desire for the things of God. If you're here today, I want to have Keith come. If you're here today, we're going to sing and worship some. If you're here today and you want to know more about what it means to become a believer, I would have our elders stand up. Uh, ben is here. Lucas is in the back. Wayne is actually out of town preaching today at a different church. Always great. One of, one of our pastors preaches somewhere else. Mateso Katanu is there. Uh, Keith is here. Uh, our elders are always available to chat with you, to stay behind at church, to meet you anytime during the week that you can, uh, to talk with you and share more about what it means to become a believer. Um, church, we're called to be different. And in the area of sexual ethics, we must, we are called to be in a stark contrast to what the world has. And the way we behave and our attitudes about it and the jokes that we make and the things that we say and the things that we watch, all of those things. And I'm not a legalist by any stretch of the imagination, but I would tell you, you're a slave to righteousness. And all of those things influence how we behave. And we want to behave as people who glorify God with our bodies. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I pray you teach us more and more about what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel, what it means to glorify God in our bodies. God, this world is a difficult one to walk in. The struggles and the culture that we live in is just saturated with all of the wrong views of this subject. 
And I pray, God, that you would drive us to be different. That you would remind us that we're no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. God, I pray for time of confession. And even while we worship, no doubt there are hearts here, Lord, who have strayed in this area of their life. And I would just proclaim to them the same that you proclaimed through Paul to the Corinthians. A reminder that they are not their own, but they were bought with a price. So glorify God in our bodies. And God, I pray for a time of confession. That what we watch, what we think about, how we behave matters. Move among us, challenge us. Recover purity in our hearts, Lord, I pray. In your name.